0: This week on the Metal Shop Podcast...
1: We are Motorhead! And we play rock and roll!
2: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Metal Shop Podcast with me, Big Frog. and yeah, me, Mike Castleberry. And this week, we are getting into some motherfucking Motorhead.
0: Fuck yeah. This was a topic where... We're trying to come up with with what to do next. And we're kicking around ideas. And then I went, wait a minute. How the fuck did we not do a Motorhead episode yet? <laughs> right. I thought for sure we had. Yeah, I, I for some reason, I thought we did, too. And then I like went back and looked. I'm like, oh. we just kept saying we're going to do a Motorhead episode. And then we kept just not doing it for some reason, which is weird because we've done episodes on bands that we're far less into Mm -hmm. just because of their importance in metal. Like you weren't really into Alice Cooper at all, but we did Alice. You weren't super into Zeppelin. We did Zeppelin and shit. You know, we did hair metal. We did all this shit. And like motorhead, one of the most important bands in the history of metal that we're both really fucking into Somehow we just kept forgetting to do an episode on it. So we're rectifying a two-year-old mistake at this point.
2: <laughs> yeah, for sure. Basically, the the story of Motorhead is the story of Lemmy, right? Oh, for sure. You know, uh, from what I know of, of the origins, you know, he came up kind of rough in England, single mom, all that. But... He doesn't complain about it. He says, you know, he had a good childhood, even though he was only raised by women or whatever. You know, he <laughs> liked it. He didn't have a, a, a big problem with it. And then at some point, like all of them uh, in those in those areas of, of England, they found out about rock and roll. Oh, yeah. So for uh, for Lemmy it was um, Little Richard and Eddie Cochran, Big Bopper, Buddy Holly, a lot of those dudes that died in that one plane. Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, so so Lemmy was all into that, and you know he saw the Beatles before they were big. So uh, he became that rock and roll dude. And one of the funny things that I found out, like when um, when I started messing with bands that started coming down from L.A. and stuff when I was young. I found out that, like, some of these bands, like, you know, Poison, London, bands that would come down from L.A., all their road crew and shit, they all also had bands in L.A. Yeah. But they were just like, this is a bigger band, and we just want to be in the rock and roll lifestyle on the road and whatever. Whichever band makes it first, whatever. We'll go with that. Yeah. And that's kind of how Lemmy was. You know, he was a, a roadie for Hendrix. He, you know, joining bands, playing guitar, just getting in where he could fit in, scoring dope for them. And then he meets this dude called Dick Mick <laughs> in the course of scoring dope and getting high and whatever. And his dude, Dick Mick, is in Hawkwind.
0: Lemmy has my favorite story ever of joining a band, I think, because. First off, to, like you said, he was just all about just being in that rock and roll vicinity. And that started pretty young because he basically saw a dude with a guitar just getting all the pussy.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> he was like, well, I need to get some of that. So he he gets a guitar. And his whole thing was like, you didn't even need to know how to play the guitar. All you had to do is just have a guitar with you. And that's <laughs> that tough. So he has a, a goddamn guitar, and like you said, he meets this dick mick dude because he's getting dope for these guys in Hollywood, and uh, their bass player no-shows. So Lemmy has been playing a little bit of guitar at this point. Their bass player no-shows. They see Lemmy with around all the time with his fucking guitar and say, hey, can you play bass? Our bass player just no-showed this gig, and we need someone he had never touched a base before, ever, and he, of course, bullshits. Oh yeah, I can do it. Mm-hmm. That's how he fucking ends up in Hawkin. He just—it's <laughs> like how you became a comedian, where you just lied and told everybody. You were <laughs> a comedian. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and then got and then felt like you had to get on stage at that point, so you didn't become a complete liar. He gets on stage and manages to bullshit his way through a set with Hawkin. Which I think that contributed to his bass style. Mm -hmm. He didn't learn how to play bass specifically. Right. He always had a very, his bass style, it's like playing rhythm guitar on a bass. Mm -hmm. Right.
2: And you might, it might be like really romantic to think, hey, you know what? Like, let me just like in his mind came up with this idea that a bass might really sound awesome through a Marshall stack. Yeah. but more likely it's just the amp he had around yeah. and kind of had to do it that way. And, w- and then figured out, Hey, you know what? This kind of sounds has its own fucking thing and stuck with it, you know?
0: Oh, for sure. I, you know, that's what's, you know, the cool thing about Lemmy too, is like, cause I'd gotten into motorhead before I'd ever heard of Hawkwind or anything like that. So it's like a trip that when you find out, like when motorhead first started popping up, Lemmy was a known quantity. know, mm-hmm. he had been recording and touring with this band for like five fucking years. Right. Had a little bit of success in the seventies to the point where probably I still think it's their biggest hit, but he did the, the song silver machine and did vocals on it. You yeah, know, people knew who he was. You know, from the get go, it was like, okay, he's putting together his own band. Well, I'm kind of getting ahead of that because I figure we want to talk a little bit more about Hawkwind before we get into Motorhead proper. But
2: right, yeah the the uh, the thing about it is when I hear about, oh yeah, you know, he made it with this band, then before that he was with this band and with that band or whatever. If I haven't really heard of those bands, I kind of just sort of dismiss them as, oh, yeah, he was in there, whatever, like a stepping stone kind of thing. Yeah. But Hawkwind was actually much bigger than I realized. You know, like you said, people knew who Lemmy was. Filthy Animal says, like, when he met Lemmy, it was at at the pub, of course. Yeah. And Lemmy was um, playing the slot machine, of course.
0: That, I love that story because it's like, that's just like everywhere fucking Lemmy went, it's just him parked in front of a fucking slot machine. Right, right. <laughs> so Yeah, because that's like now that his statue, that's where it's at in, uh, in the rainbows in front of that damn slot machine that he was always parked in front of.
2: Right. So Filthy's like, I didn't really know who he was because I didn't like Hawkwind. I didn't know about Hawkwind. But I knew he was somebody because everybody would bring him change so he didn't have to leave the machine. And so he's like, one time he asked me for change, and I was like, get your own change, you wanker, you know, whatever. Yeah, you fucking cunt. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, because he wasn't about that or whatever. But, yeah, so, and also, too, the famous story is that they're in Michigan. Uh, Lemmy almost misses a gig because, according to him, he got, like, mugged. And they just left without him. They didn't yeah. like really go look for him or whatever. And then uh, he made his own way to the gig. And then on the way t- uh, going into Canada, he gets busted with some meth. And again, they just leave him in jail. And like they weren't really going to bail him out. But the dude that they got to replace him for the gig couldn't make it in time. So they had to bail him out. <laughs> and then they fired him in the morning. Yeah. Now, I didn't realize like how really mad he was about that. Like, you know, it was like to him, it was like the end of the world because he says he would have never left that band. He loved being in that band, everything like that. But they like, you know, basically the, the way he looks at it, they stabbed him in the back and took away his living because that's how he was making his living. Yeah.
0: Well, that's too. On top of that, it's kind of funny because, like you said, he was all about Hawkwind. Mm. And uh, when he got fired, I think it was probably there's a case of, you know, okay, he got busted with drugs, crossed it across Canada. I get the feeling this was a. I'd, I'd read his his book also. There's a definite case of um, just not doing the same drugs as the rest of the dudes in the band. Right. a trip right. out space rock band and he was tweaking yeah point when you got the trip out stoner dudes that are doing all the songs about outer space like you can't be around the tweaker forever Uh -uh. and it makes sense that eventually his time was limited but i just thought it was funny how motorhead became a thing by necessity because he gets fired and to him he's just like well, I'm still getting paid, right? Like he's his whole thing was like, am I going to still collect royalties? Because I've been in this band. And when his manager basically said, no, you need to start a new band. And that's when he decided he needed to start a new band.
2: <laughs> right.
0: Because he was like more than happy. It sounds like to I don't, he makes it sound like this. No one let me. I don't think it's true. But he, if, to him, it was like as long as he could collect some royalties at the time. He's going to be kind of fat and happy for a minute. Yeah. But when he said he wasn't again, he had no money now. You need to start a new band, man. You can't right. f- sit on your ass. And- right. So basically he puts
2: together a couple of guys. He wants the band to be called Bastard. Yeah. They explain to him that that's probably not a good idea. He's not going to get on top of the pops or anything <laughs> like that, being called Bastard. So uh, he decides to call it Motorhead which is the last song that he had written for Hawkwind. And it was on the B side of some single and a totally different song from what it ended up becoming. Sure.
0: It's still a cool song. I like, I I dig the Hawkwind version of motorhead also. Yeah. But it's a very different thing. But what I think is funny, it's he went, like you said, he wanted to call the band bastard. Like you said, they're like, well, you ain't going to get on top of the pops. With a band named Bastard And he was like oh you probably got a good point there Alright let's name it fucking Motorhead mm-hmm. A freaking slang term For Speed Freak Right. So that'd be like If you got kicked out of your band And you were like Okay well we're gonna call My new band is gonna be called Bastard mm. it's Like well we can't have a band Named Bastard You're like alright let's call it fucking Tweaker then <laughs> Yeah Because that's really what it boils down to. It's just a different slang for tweaker because I didn't know this until later because Motorhead wasn't a fucking slang for shit by the time I had heard of it. Right. Yeah,
2: no, me either. That must be a British thing. Right. That's a total 70s type of of a label. He starts putting his band together. he's uh, He's got an idea that he wants to be kind of heavier, kind of like the MC5. And he gets these two dudes. It's uh, Larry Wallace and Lucas Fox. And they have an incarnation that is similar to what Motorhead would become. But still, to me, missing a lot of the elements... That would be required.
0: Well, it's... Yeah, there's a reason why that album they recorded didn't get released. Until Motorhead got famous. Then, all of a sudden, the dudes that had this shit sitting on their shelves were like, Hey, we have Motorhead, They're technically their first record. Right. And, man, it's fucking shit. Right. It doesn't sound as good. It's not, you know, like the... Just the quality of the recording is bad, and it's just, it's not there yet. It's it's kind of like when you listen to, like, when you hear about those, like, versions of, like, Judas Priest before, like, the, the lineup actually, like, solidifies, and then right. are going from there. It's like this proto version of Motorhead that probably shouldn't have seen the light of day. So, yeah.
2: Right. You know, it's funny because that is, like, right where not when, but right where I became aware of Motorhead, because I became aware of Motorhead in 83 when I was in Spain, and uh, we'd see a lot of like Motorhead patches and stuff like that. We were aware there was a band called Motorhead, right? And by this time, all of the classic albums are out already, but we don't really know about them, you know? Yeah and and like i say back then you know uh, buying an album was an investment it wasn't like a couple of clicks and and we'll see how this sounds you know it was you know it was like the it was half the last money you had to go get an album so we were not so quick to just buy whatever so um we went to this thing and uh they had like these album giveaways at this uh little uh rock and roll video show that they used to have for us on the on the military base over there. And they gave away albums and uh I got this Motorhead album. It was called Beer Drinkers and Hellraisers. And um somebody else got like the Budgie album or is that Budgie? Is that the band that Brian Johnson was in before?
0: Uh, no, that's Jordy. Jordy, we got the Jordy album. We've had this exact same mix up on the AC/DC. <laughs> did we?
2: Yeah, okay, yeah. see, but I caught it this time. So, it's Jordy, we got the Jordy album, we got this Motorhead album, and it was that, uh, on parole like repackaged into something else. And we put it on. And it was just like, oh wow, this is so bad. I wonder why so many people like this band. They have all their, you know, their patches and whatever. And the Geordie album was terrible too, you know. So it was like no big deal that that you know whatever. But my so my first impression of Motorhead was not a good one. But when I got back. We uh, went to TJ for some reason. We used to go to TJ for everything. Like I used to get my haircut in TJ. We'd go shopping in TJ, all kinds of stuff. And so um, we went to this record shop or whatever, and they had a Motorhead tape, Iron Fist. It was like, it was going to be like three bucks, you know, with the uh, pesos and everything like that. So my folks got it for me. And then that was my first positive impression of Motorhead. (laughs) You know, and I don't want to get too far ahead because we're going to go album by album, but um, I don't agree with the critics' uh, portrayals of Iron Fist, let's just say. But before we go into all that, we get to where they're recording the tapes that would become um, No Parole for their first label that really is only interested in releasing a single from them. Yeah. But they give them a whole, they give them two days to record the single and they're just tweaking balls the whole time. So they record a whole album.
0: <laughs> basically. Yeah. Basically. That's yeah. Cause that's what, Le, you know, Lemmy was saying, you know, uh, they already kind of had what they thought that what an al- album should be in their head. But what's interesting to me is, you know, you have this on parole what was supposed to be the first record it's just like it's weird how motorhead comes to be because they like you said they had uh, uh Larry Wallace on lead guitar and Lucas Fox who he's only um he only ends up on one track on on parole because they're already Lemmy is already I don't know he's dissatisfied with him he's looking for a new drummer at the time this is where I said, you know, you don't you don't usually get uh, a legendary band from just finding dudes in like the fucking tweaker scene you're in.
1: But mm-hmm.
0: filthy animal, like you said, he'd been hanging around the pubs. He knew of Lemmy, and he would just be like, "Hey, you know I play drums, right?" And he was bringing him dope and shit like that. And Lemmy's like, "Yeah, yeah whatever." Didn't really believe him. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, he's got a drum kit. So I said, "Fuck it." why don't you come on in? We need, we're trying to replace our drummer. Basically his audition was put the cans on, on filthy animal. Now play to the backing tracks. <laughs> yeah. And that's how he joined the band.
2: Right. And the one and the leg up that he had on the other drummer was that he had a car. <laughs> so that was like, uh, let uh, you mean you could get me to the studio and to the pub and then back. Shit, you're in.
0: You're hired. Yeah.
2: <laughs> but I mean, you know what? That's one thing that kind of trips me out is that some sometimes these guys must really underestimate their abilities. Because how could you just, like, nobody knows you're a drummer. And then suddenly yeah. you're just drumming like Filthy Animal Taylor.
0: Yeah, it's a trip. Well, especially because when you look at how the classic lineup gets formed it's just some random tweaker he knows yeah bar turns out to be this sick-ass drummer and then they were looking to add a second guitarist they wanted to be a four-piece filthy says well i know a guy the foreman on this construction site i'm working on eddie clark apparently he plays guitar Right. And I've been I'm being told that he's really good at guitar. Maybe we should audition him for our second guitarist. Well, what be what was supposed to be the second guitarist just becomes the guitarist because when Fast Eddie starts jamming with them, fucking Larry's not showing up. He keeps not showing up for jam sessions and shit. So they just fire him and they decide to keep it as a three piece. But it's like a random tweaker from the bar. And this guy he works with in construction end up to be the missing pieces to Motorhead. Which, I don't know about you, but, you know, all the time, when I grew up, when you know, when I was growing up, when my dad was in his, the middle of his, like, hardest drinking phases before he got sober, he hung out at a tweaker bar. And the fucking tweakers that he would hire for shit, like, (laughs) get anything sick like this out of it, it would be like, hey some tweaker from the bar is going to reupholster the couch and it's all fucking crappy or Hey, some tweaker I know is going to cut down the tree in front of the house and he's a fucking weirdo.
2: (laughs) Right. So you end up having half a tree in front of your house for three or four days until until you could get enough shit to come back and finish. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. I know all about that. And, and I mean, honestly, like when I first heard motorhead, they were very much like not necessarily what i was into like i said i was i was into like you know guitar players who were really technical fast Eddie wasn't singers who had really good voices you know lemmy didn't or whatever whatever but it really was their like just nitty gritty uh grunginess of of that really captured me and then when i started tweaking also well then fuck then they were like my theme band basically for
0: <laughs> like oh
2: yeah it's like oh shit i get it now you know
0: yeah it's like when you're supposed to like drop acid to listen to like pink floyd it's like oh no if you're tweaking like motorhead just hits different <laughs> oh yeah
2: it hits the spot for sure that's for sure so basically the tape that they're uh, that they were working on when when Filthy joins the band, that's where the single for Louie Louie comes from. It just Mm -hmm. sells like way better than they expected it to. It gets into like number 72 on the charts. And so then they get to go actually do Top of the Pops. And then it's Lemmy. And it's like, almost like they're, they're dressed up. It's uh, to be on the show. And it's the same stuff that they wear, but just like really like, new and clean versions of the same clothes, but they still look like Motorhead, but it was a trip, you know, when you see that video of them on there. And so that basically leads to the first album.
0: So, yeah, that first record, it's basically, for all intents and purposes, it's a re-recording of, for the most part, of what was supposed to be their first album to begin with, which is why On Parole is so Mm -hmm. unnecessary to listen to entirely. So this just has much better versions of most of what was on that already, right? So
2: yeah, so so they record the first album and it's for Bronze Records.
0: Yeah, and that was a guy uh, Ted Carroll uh, ran this little record thing, and that was actually uh, that's why I was saying I think some of our stories got conflicted because that was actually what turned out to be Motorhead was that. When they're first supposed to just do the single for Motorhead. And then they just blew through like 11 tracks in two days, basically, with the classic lineup. And then they just, you know, the this guy Ted liked it so much. He's like, fuck it, we're, we're signing you. We're going to do a, a for real album on this. And that's when they came in and did some edits and some overdubs to which filthy animal likes to likes to brag about the fact that uh they didn't have to do any edits on my shit is like all the drums were played right. live <laughs> yeah. but uh they that's where they said like this is how you knew some tweaker shit was happening because they they came in there when they're doing some editing and there are stacks of tapes there's like fucking 32 33 right. edits of just motorhead they all had stars on them because they're trying to figure out which was the the edit you know and it's like oh well this one has four stars but this one has three stars on it but i think i like the the three star edit better than the four star one and everybody's just like jesus fucking christ
2: (laughs) because i mean obviously i've been involved in sessions like that and the good thing about it is that all as long as you don't mess with the actual master you're good right and you can you keep on mixing and yeah. bouncing onto other tapes all you want. And it, no matter how bad they sound, really you're not doing any damage other than wasting time. And so that's great. Because as you know, a lot of times yeah. a tweaker will take apart your shit in an effort to put it back together and it never comes back together, you know? <laughs> so it's good that they didn't have the opportunity to do that with the tape and they just uh, they just made different edits and different edits. But yeah, I could totally identify and the thing about it with that shit is that some good things will come out of it, some bad things will come out of it, but definitely you can do some things on meth that you can't normally do. The question is whether or not you should do it that way, right? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, definitely uh, can record an album in two days when when you're when you have that same right motivation. So on this album, you've got Motorhead, Vibrator, Iron Horse, White Line Fever, Keep Us on the Road, and you know the train kept a rolling. You know, so that's there's a there's a theme of keep it moving you know keep it going keep it you know keep everything fast and their their musical style obviously faster than anything that was going on at the time you know so it all made sense
0: oh for sure there is uh, you know it's funny because you know as much as Lemmy is like we are a rock and roll band and he they're kind of like the ultimate culmination of like rock and roll in that sense but man, like nothing fucking sounded like Motorhead uh-uh. before or since. Like, there's just such a unique quality to Motorhead that like you can't duplicate. And that's all because of Lemmy. <laughs>
1: Here it comes, I'm come I can do it like nothing else, does. you never alone
0: Is what it boils down to because there's other bands that kind of have a similar style maybe they're i mean they're all influenced by motorhead
1: mm-hmm.
0: nothing quite sounds like a motorhead record other than motorhead it's its own thing whereas you know in different genres when you have thrash metal whereas obviously bands like megadeth and metallica and slayer and exodus and dah, 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 they all sound different but there's some of those similarities in there. So you could tell they came from the same scene. Whereas Motorhead was just on a whole other fucking planet uh, compared to everything going on at the time. Like even like Lemmy was, you know, inspired by MC5. Like they took that shit to a whole different level too. It's interesting because they did get attention, but Motorhead never quite got as big as I think they probably could have or should have despite the fact that they're maybe one of the most unique influential bands like of all time. Like if, if you were to take like the the most influential bands, like most important overall in the history of metal, I would say, you know, obviously Black Sabbath, obviously Judas Priest is like number two. I'd say Motorhead is probably number three and they never funny enough. Lemmy never claims to be in a metal band. Right. He doesn't like the he doesn't like the There's a lot of those bands that are like the influences, they don't like to be called metal.
2: I think there's a freedom in being um in not allowing yourself to be labeled because like you know, if Metallica when when Metallica was thrash, okay, well, the people wanted their songs to be like a certain amount of beats per minute. They wanted Lars to do all the hi hats exactly the same number of times, there's like rules for it or whatever. Yeah. You know, it's not fast enough. It's not heavy enough. It's not this. It's not that. With Motorhead, you can't really say, well, you're not Motorhead enough or, you know, (laughs) because they make their own rules and they do their own thing. And it just so happens that it's heavy as fuck. It just so happens that it's fast as fuck. But the structure really is yeah. the same as a rock and roll song.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, especially too, I like to. It's funny because this has been brought up multiple times by multiple people that Motorhead also is one of those few bands mm-hmm. that both metalheads and punk kids into. And um, I wanted to talk about that a little bit, at least on the, that first record, where you have songs like Vibrator. Which, that's one of my f- my uh, favorite, like, hidden gems from Motorhead. It's not a song you hear a lot. It's certainly not in, like, it wasn't in their their sets probably very long. Uh, because it's one of those songs that, you know, Larry Wallace has a writing credit on. And he actually did the vocals in the original version of that on On Parole. But, you know, Lemmy does all the vocals Except for some a uh, couple songs down the line where you had like uh, a filthy animal does vocals on one song, but uh, Vibrator has a very, very rock and roll even more than a lot of things vibe to it. But it also has kind of like a that early punk rock feel to it. It's like it's it's like that you know that version of punk before it got into like weird, gross, like gutter punks and shit like that, where it's kind of like poppy almost. So you can feel all that in that one. Whereas this is why as much as I love the first Motorhead album, I feel like Motorhead comes into its own with Overkill. Right. That's when you get to a lot of people, the definitive Motorhead record is probably Ace of Spades, at least for that original lineup. To me, it might be overkill just because it's like, holy shit. You don't get too many bands that, you know, on their second album, just knock it the fuck out of the park like that. Where, especially with, with it, you know, with the title track, Overkill. I like the story that Filthy Animals talked about because he sees there's so many bands out there. They got like two bass drums up there. And he he always wanted that. But in his mind, he was like, I don't want to have that unless I'm actually making use of it. Whereas a lot of these guys, they just have it because it looks cool, but they're not using it. He was just flat out like, no, I need to use these to the full effect. And being a fucking tweaker, he's, you know, he's practicing all the time on that. Yeah. And that's where, you know, Fast Eddie and Lemmy walk in, where he's doing his practice, his double kick practice, just. Right. And he's like, oh, shit, I'll stop. They're like, no, 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 keep doing that. And then they the whole damn song around him doing that. It's got to be like, I mean, I'm sure there's probably some like obscure ass thing you could dig up. Right. But I think that's got to be the first real double kick right. usage in like hard rock to that extent because it's fucking nothing else sounded like that in the 70s. <laughs>
2: And not to oversimplify, but basically thrash metal is born. Yeah. into its own. You know, uh Overkill's a sick album, um Bomber's a sick album, Ace of Spades, like you said, is obviously the uh the what people consider the definitive um album. So this is the beginning of that like three album mm-hmm. series where they're just kicking ass.
0: Oh for sure. That's you know like you said that is the uh the upside to being a tweaker uh <laughs> it's two albums in a year <laughs> and shit like that Because they put out a right. Overkill and Bomber In 79 And that's when the, the You know That's when On Parole gets put out also Which pissed them off They didn't want it, that to ever come out But basically they didn't record Three albums in one year But because of the popularity of the two They did in one year You get a third shittier one Right And <laughs> So it's like 79 was like the year of Motorhead. Like all the Motorhead you can fucking handle. Totally. And um, and Overkill, obviously, it's got
2: Overkill. Stay Clean is still, they still play that shit. Uh, well. Oh, <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, yeah. They I mean, they still played that shit all the way to the end. I'll Be Your Sister was a big one. Capricorn is a classic to me. Damage Case, classic. No Class is a classic. So they got, I mean, Tear You Down is a classic. Like you said, that is probably the first great Motorhead record.
0: Yeah, Metropolis also. Like, nothing sucks on that that record. And you know what? Uh, It's funny because we've been in that uh, that Van Halen group, Mm. and you're just like, dude, this shit's funny it's just a bunch of old guys being like man van Halen was so great <laughs> yeah <laughs> that, that seems to be the the extent of it but they're talking but only from this time to this time yeah because it's like yeah the group is uh Van Halen 1978 to 1980 yeah what's funny because today someone they keep talking about oh man Van Halen had six great records in a row which I just dis- I disagree I don't like diver down all that much but they're like, name another band that had six kick-ass records in a row like that. And I was like, Motorhead. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I would argue, even the albums that weren't as popular, you can listen to any Motorhead record yeah. and have fun with it. Like, I don't think Lemmy put out a single just flat-out shit album. Like, they may they may be a little derivative. They may be a little repetitive they may be a little bit too much of the motorhead formula but they're all like if you haven't listened to a if you've never listened to a motorhead record before you can listen to literally anyone ever and and know what it's about totally you know so totally
2: you know what and the bottom line is that that's also true of motorhead the live band motorhead never lets you down live you can go see motorhead you, that's you're gonna see exactly what you thought you were gonna see, and that's and that's whether de- oh, regardless yeah. of the lineup, regardless if it was three dudes or four dudes, Levy's gonna kick your ass, and it's and it's nothing soft about it. It's gonna be loud as fuck. It's gonna be fast as fuck. You're gonna feel like you you went through the ringer after that show. Yeah, and the only other band that I that I think like th- or that I see in the same vein is Slayer. You know, uh Yeah. This a Slayer album is always a Slayer album and a Slayer concert is always a Slayer concert. And that's the same of Motorhead.
0: I'm I'm lucky that I got to see Motorhead when I did, because I didn't get to see him until uh I think it was uh twenty eleven. Um January twenty
1: eleven.
0: I'd been a fan for a little while at that point. And I know we're getting ahead of when we're, you know, in the timeline, but it was, like you said, exactly what I, exactly what I wanted.
1: Mm.
0: You know, my brother, me and my brother went, I was way more into Motorhead than him, but he likes Motorhead. He went and he basically said, yeah, there's a lot of songs that I didn't know because they played, like I showed you the set list. It was a pretty varied Mm. he's like that you know they only had like you know there's like two off of overkill two off you know so they had they mixed that shit up it's not like we're a band that's like we're playing all the hits but it's motorhead let me knows what you want we're gonna end on ace of spades and overkill
2: Mm. right
0: (laughs) my brother was saying he's like i didn't know most of the songs they played because of that they're still cool because it's fucking motorhead and motorhead's cool But he also said, you know, seeing Ace of Spades played live at the House of Blues when we had those floor tickets, so we're right fucking there. He was like, that was about, that was like a religious experience. finally seeing this song that's it's a little played out Mm -hmm. it's just it hits that that whole thing you know and for me it's like you know building up to finally being able to see him and you know we've told the story of me almost not even getting to see him before
2: oh yeah that's right
0: that's where I didn't have my ID was expired but yeah man it was just like everything I could have hoped for in a Motorhead concert it was that, like you said, it was loud as fuck, it was raw as fuck, I was deaf afterwards, but man, it's like a it's it's an experience i I wouldn't trade for the world, you know, and I fuck and I've only gotten to see him that one time, and I just treasure the fact that I did get to see him that one time, whereas you've seen him several more times than I have, and your last time seeing him was about 4 months before Lemmy died and you yeah. know, it was about 4 months before Lemmy was going to die.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so Yeah, you know, it's funny because um because of because of what I was explaining, which is that e- uh, each Motorhead concert is like uh perfectly fulfills that thing. I I have really trouble like differentiating them from each other. So I really have no idea how many times I've seen Motorhead. I know it's a bunch, but I, but I'm really not sure because I was looking them up and I was like, was I there? Well, I kind of think I was there, but it's kind of hard for me to remember because each show was very similar to the other one. But, um, I know that the first time that, uh, (laughs) that I had a chance to go see Motorhead was in 84 it was at the Adams Avenue Theater with Exciter and Merciful Fate. But for whatever reason, I wasn't, I didn't go. Right. So Lenny's response was that it was going to be my birthday soon. And so he told my girlfriend that I really, really wanted this Motorhead Live concert videotape, which I didn't want. <laughs> you know, I would have much. Rather had like an Yngwie something or something, whatever, whatever. But I ended up getting this Motorhead live videotape. And so that was like the catalyst for me to actually want to go see Motorhead. Right?
0: Sounds to me like uh, Lenny wanted to watch that Motorhead live videotape and told your girlfriend that's what she wanted for your birthday. Yeah,
2: exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and- And he wanted me to see it because he wanted to kind of inject some Motorhead uh, type of stuff into what we were going to do, which really wasn't the idea I had in mind, but ended up being incorporated, you know. So by the time when I got back, I missed that show, which I'm sure was a great fucking show, Mm -hmm. Merciful Fate and fucking Motorhead. And, uh, and Adams Avenue Theater was a really small venue, so I'm sure it was cool. I had missed that, but now I had this Iron Fist cassette and this videotape of Motorhead Live. And so now I was really jonesing to see Motorhead. And the next time that they came through was 1985, California Theater, uh, Motorhead, and Megadeth. And so that was my first time seeing uh, Motorhead. And I thought they were sick as fuck, man. It was just like, and, and it was funny because unfortunately for Megadeth on that day, I just being an extremist in, in what I was thinking at the time, I just thought, oh, okay. I just saw the real thing and the fake thing. At the same time huh. And Motorhead was the real thing And Megadeth was the fake thing And I was like I like fucking Motorhead I don't really fucking fuck these Megadeth dudes Or whatever And that was kind of my going forward Operating Was like It was like um Motorhead Who was what Metallica was based on And then there was Megadeth Who was like fake Metallica Yeah so, unfortunately, I didn't give uh, Megadeth more of a chance. I probably should have. I would have ended up liking a lot more shit from them if I, if I didn't uh, concentrate on the corniness and whatever uh, urban legends made me think that Mustaine was the like the lame one <laughs> or whatever. So, yeah. But ever since I saw Motorhead on that show, I became a fan. Uh, like a huge fan. And then the very next year we saw him again at the California theater, but this time they brought Cro-Mags and raw power. So that was basically like a punk metal show. Yeah. And that was my first ever punk metal show. And it was also the first show that I ever first metal show that I ever saw a pit at. Yeah. <laughs> Which I hated. Still not a fan of the and pit. And <laughs> I didn't think that the two things should mix. And really, to tell you the honest and got truth, I still don't. I'm still not a fan of the pit. But this was the first time that I ever saw a pit at a metal show. I didn't think it was something that would catch on. But eventually it did catch on. But the first time I ever saw it was 86, California Theater, Motorhead,
0: Cro-Mags, and Raw Power. Oh, man. Cro-Mags. That's a that's just a random side story as i remember um a friend of mine had all these like you know how they have trading cards for like everything they had like rock and like these music trading cards that he had and one of them was for chromags and i remember the lead singer fucking looking like a like like what the hell is this so we used to make fun of it all the time so we would always just bring up Mags all the time we never listened to him, but we just thought this dude looked goofy. Yeah. He had this pack of these cars, but it was like shit. It was weird because it'd be like Cro-Mags on one of them. And then like another was like Teddy, Teddy Pendergrass. <laughs> oh,
2: <laughs> Lord.
0: So, yeah, but that was my Cro-Mags experience. But, uh.
2: You know, I think everyone has like those certain bands or or people that they talk shit about without like necessarily ever having listened to them. Or, or, you know, like for us, it was Bathory. There's this band called Bathory, and obviously it's based on that, that lady Elizabeth Bathory. Who yeah. Used to like bathe in virgins' blood or whatever. But on, in the band, there were these three blonde guys, and on one of their covers, they were just all in loincloths with swords. Yeah. So we were just like, oh, fuck, okay, Bathory. So, you know, so that would be the band we would clown for this and that, you know, or whatever, whatever we yeah. thought was uh, lame.
0: I want to get your live reaction here. I'm about. To, I found that I found the card <laughs> for Cro-Mags. so I just sent the the link of that to your. Uh... Oh wow! Yeah, that's <laughs> the guy. <laughs> so yeah, so we saw that. And we're like, who the fuck is Cro-Mags? Wow. You know, I think part of it is we like. Didn't understand that was the name of the band. We just thought this one guy had a shitty name. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah,
2: Yeah. He does look like a Crow Mag. Yeah. In that picture. So yeah. And that's funny that uh you can you can relive your childhood for only three dollars and plus two ninety nine shipping. You can for own real. the Crow Mags yeah. card.
0: I need to send that shit to my friend John.
2: Okay, so Overkill was a was a pretty big success. It went to number twenty four on the on the English charts. They weren't really that well known here yet, but they would go on to record uh, the Bomber next in nineteen seventy nine with producer Jimmy Miller. Did you trip out on any of the stuff about that guy?
0: <laughs> that was uh, yeah. When uh, that's what I, I had to drop that down because. He was kind of a legendary producer um, around that time period. Um, But the way it was that I think Filthy Animal was described it, they didn't realize he was damaged goods at that point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that dude, they just said, like, he was basically, like, he was gone at that point. Like, he was just, like, falling asleep in the studio. It was, like... It's like if you fucking hired Ace Freely as your producer or something during his like fuck up period.
2: <laughs> right. Yeah. But somehow the recordings are great, you know, and and the and the thing about it is it's like it's the perfect type of production for Motorhead because it's not overproduced, it's dirty, you know, it's um it's raw. And that's how it's supposed to be.
0: Oh yeah, but it's it's. I think that became that came out because they had a, a fucking producer that checked out. <laughs> yeah, and so they didn't have anybody fiddling with it. But yeah, he was like uh, about four four or five albums with the Rolling Stones, like stuff you know, like st- shit like Sticky Fingers and stuff, which is considered one of their their best records. So they were very excited to work with this dude. And then they just got this dude that was like, what the fuck is happening? Like, he would disappear. Yeah. And, like, he passed out in, like, the girls' bathroom and shit like that. (laughs) Right.
2: They said, like, sometimes, like, he would show up. Like, he would be in the recording booth. And he would have, like, a a robe on and slippers. But it was, like, snowing outside. It was, like... How the fuck did this motherfucker get here like that like it looked like he got transported from his living room into the into the recording studio and he's just sitting there high as fuck like going yeah. Oh, okay yeah that sounds great man yeah that sounds great so evidently um jimmy miller's behavior was had been okay during the overkill sessions but when they went in to do the bomber It was obvious he was under the influence of heroin like the whole time. Yeah. You know. And so uh, they're like, you know, we thought we were bad at being late, but he would be like half a day late. Right. Like
0: Show up tomorrow.
2: (laughs) Yeah. And then he would get there with these like crazy ass stories of how what happened that caused him to be late. He's like, yeah, you know, the taxi never came. And so I had to call another one. And then that one ran out of gas, so we had to push it to the petrol station and whatever, whatever. And so they would just laugh when he would show up because they're like, all right, what's he going to tell us this time? You know, he's like, oh, he won't believe what what happened. They're like, yeah, we won't believe it, but we, we sure do want to hear it, though. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So he would tell them some story or whatever. But again, you know, they come in and they record a great album on the Bomber. Uh, Stone Dead Forever Dead Man Tell No Tales Poison All the Aces Bomber You know, all all these fucking, like you said, again, nothing sucks on this album.
0: Yeah, that's, Bomber is one of the, the ones I actually probably listen to the most as well. It's just one I happen to have years back. So, yeah, no, it's it's fucking killer. And especially when you get, like, the CD version later, because it has live tracks on it and mm-hmm. shit like that as bonus tracks. So, it's really, yeah. There's all-time classics on it, you know. Bummer, obviously. All the Aces, Stone Dead Forever. Yeah, there's so many. Like, during this time period, it's like everything they put out is like a classic song.
2: Yeah, and you know what? And during this time, this is really when Fast Eddie Clark was hitting his stride. Because, you know, it's funny And Fast Eddie Clark says it, he goes, you know, he says, we didn't get no respect from other musicians, even as musicians, like they all just thought we were wankers. Yeah. And that was the reputation that Motorhead had, you know, the best, worst band in the world (laughs) and all this other shit that they would say about him. And people would denigrate kind of them as individual musicians and I didn't really see that man because to me um, Filthy Animal was a sick drummer oh, ahead certainly. of his time and and to me um, Fast Eddie Clark although he was a little bit sloppy and although uh, he wasn't the most technical dude in the world he had a rad style and he did things that were unique to him like a lot of times, when you when you hear uh, the new guys play Motorhead, even though it sounds awesome and everything, it kind of there's a couple of things that sound sound a little too clean, like the you know Mickey D's drums sound a little too tight, yeah, and um, and uh, the guitars are a little bit also too uh, compressed. Whereas with um, Fast Eddie, he would let like he would be doing certain chords but he would let like the other strings ring out. Yeah. And that kind of gave it a, the riffs, a continuity where it almost sounds like he's doing variations on the same chord because one note, like it usually it's an A or an E is consistently ringing out. So it kind of sounds like the riff is like really, really all tied together by that one or two notes that are constantly ringing out. And that was like a really big part of, um, Fast Eddies style and something that made him different within the rhythm parts because it almost kind of made it sound like there was two guitars playing. while, it was just him. So I liked Fast Eddie Clark and when uh, later on, when he's replaced and they start comparing other the other guitar players to him and sometimes doing it favorably, like where they say that, you know, that Brian Robertson was so much more talented than Facetty Clark. I kinda disagree with that. Yeah. You know, I think I I think uh that first of all he was he was a great guitar player and second of all, he was the perfect guitarist for Motorhead.
0: I I feel it's like that same thing as like with Ace Freely, where like after Ace leaves the band it's like, Oh, Vinnie Vincent is a better guitarist than Ace Freely or You know Bruce Kulick and this and that, but it's like yeah, maybe on some technical levels, but they weren't the best Kiss guitarists, you know.
2: Yeah, no, no, and and uh, to me, I mean, like I say, everyone that was in the band had their um, positives and negatives. Obviously, like Brian Robertson was a good technical player, and Wurzel was Wurzel was kind of in a way similar to Fast Eddie and um, Phil Campbell has his own thing too but for me if I had to pick one guy it would be Fast Eddie Clark for sure
0: oh yeah you know at this point Motorhead were like almost unstoppable you know they were just cranking out record after record of touring and touring and touring and touring so you know they hit ace of spades next which is considered the pinnacle of the classic era lineup you know it's the best selling it's the highest rate you know uh ranked one but you know it's like i said i might prefer overkill a little bit more but fuck <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's 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 such it's a such a badass record you know it's you know It kind of it does encapsulate everything they're doing up until that point.
2: Right. Yeah, man. I mean, Ace of Spades, Love Me Like a Reptile, Shoot You in the Back. You know, and you know what? We Are the Road Crew is probably one of the coolest songs that like any band ever wrote to keep their band family. Happy, yeah. like, would you straight up dedicate a song to the road crew from their point of view? And you know, and from every other interviews that I've seen, like, the Motorhead Road Crew is basically like a family, and there's no real separation between the band and the crew, they're just like, boom! Yeah. And so, that's that's awesome, you know. <laughs> And then you know, I'll probably a uh, uh, song like "Jail Bait" is doesn't have as uh, nice of uh, intent, <laughs> but it's still a badass song. You know, Chase is better than the catch. Fuck, there's a every every song on this record is is sick.
0: Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's you you can pretty much say that about almost every single Motorhead record. But yeah, it's uh, there's a reason why it's such a classic they're they're firing on all cylinders as a band unfortunately that's starting to come to a close at that point because you know they do you know they 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 are starting to take a little bit more time between records because their next album after that is iron Fist, um the last of the lineup of this this lineup Right. So before that they come
2: out with No Sleep to a Hammersmith, mm-hmm. which is the live album and and it actually went into the charts in the UK at number one. So that was like unheard of for like a really hard rock band and for a live album to go in at number one, but it did. And so they were like totally, totally riding high on this and the label, Which by this time they're starting to figure out might not have all their best interests at heart is pushing them to come out with a new album because they're like, okay, you've got three albums in a row that went into the charts. Now you've got a live album that went in at number one. We need a new album ASAP. And they couldn't fucking get with the right producer. They could, they you know, they felt rushed or whatever. Eventually, they just said just let Fast Eddie Clark do it because he had produced a couple of mm-hmm. things for other bands. They knew he could run the studio or whatever. Unfortunately, I guess they all have had a bad attitude towards it. You know, uh, Lemmy didn't like the way it was being produced, so Fast Eddie kind of withdrew and fucking, um, I guess there was a lot of problems with it. But when you look at the songs, Iron Fist, Heart of Stone, I'm the Doctor, America, Speed Freak, Religion, those are fucking badass songs. I don't get what the problem is with this record. I think it's great.
0: it's great also but like you said there was i think it was there's tensions around that time period because this is right before the end really right Um, you know right after this is when lemmy uh decides he wants and they've already been doing shit with girl school let's try something with uh uh wendy o williams from the plasmatics and do a version of stand by your man Mm -hmm. and doing a punk rock, heavy-ass thing, and everybody was like, this is going to be badass, and Fast Eddie was like, no, I don't want to do this shit. And that becomes the breaking point for him for some reason. He just fucking, he quits the band at this point. Right. And you know what? I'm
2: with Fast Eddie on this, man. Not so far as quitting the band. Like, I really wish he would not have quit the band, but, you know, uh girls' school was whack. Yeah. You know, I saw girls school because they opened for Motorhead one time when they came. So I've seen Girls School and they weren't even really like, I mean, if 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 you had a band of chicks and they were like super heavy, that would have been like a selling point. But they weren't. And if you had a band of chicks that were super hot, that would have been a selling point, but they weren't.
0: They're just chicks.
2: <laughs> yeah, you know who could kind of rock out a little bit, you know? And I just like really didn't see what the point was and, you know, and then after you're done with that and then you think you're done, then he's like, "Oh, well, now I'm going to go now now we're going to go do this thing with Wendy or Williams." And that's the thing, another thing too is that's fine if you want to go do that. Really actually you being the singer in my band, I really don't want you to go do that. Yeah. But if you want to go do that, go ahead and do it, but I ain't I don't have to go. <laughs> you know, and that was basically like what what his shit was and he was mad that they that they were mad at him over how he produced the album because according to him uh, Fast Eddie. That is everybody was happy with the album came out. Everybody was happy with it after it was released, and other people started saying what they didn't like about it yeah. or whatever. That's when Lemmy started having a problem with it. So that pissed off Fast Eddie also. And then with the with uh you know Lemmy side projects and whatever, that was when he decided to leave. Yeah, and like I said, and all of this is before I've ever seen them. So I again, I never got, I never got, I saw Fast Eddie Clark with Bassway uh, a couple of years later, but I never saw Fast Eddie Clark with Motorhead. It's again one of those situations where by the time like I really got all the way on board with Motorhead, it wasn't the original version anymore, and I never saw the the Brian Robertson version either. So I'm pretty sure that the first version I saw was um, the four piece. Four Piece of was With
0: Wurzel and uh, Phil Campbell
2: And Wurzel was uh, Kind of the more Fast Eddie Clark style guy It, it really didn't kind of Seem like, uh, like We were missing much But you know now that I Get a chance to watch a lot of video And everything um, I think Fast Eddie Clark Was the right fit for Motorhead, you know, as a recording band and also as a live band. So yeah, man, so I was a Fast Eddie Clark fan and I really totally would have been bummed had I known that he was leaving at the time that he was leaving.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> but yeah, but I really didn't I really didn't know, so so again, you know, like by the time by the time I got to to really get into Motorhead, it wasn't exactly Motorhead anymore. But as long as Lemmy's in it, then it's Motorhead. Yeah.
0: But, yeah, and with that, well, unceremoniously, that's the end of what you consider the classic era and the classic lineup of Motorhead is he right. quits over all these side projects and shit like that, and uh, the band has to chug on, and Never the two shall meet again, really. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, that's also where
2: we'll end this episode. And we'll be coming back next week with part two of Motorhead, the um, Brian Robertson and Beyond years. All right. So until the next one, this is me, Big Frog.
0: Me, Mike Castleberry. And we are out.